Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Anyway, time for stuff. Stuff that changed the world. The mobile phone. The internet changed the world. Penicillin, I would have thought. I would say sanitation. It changes everything. Simon Tierney joins us uh, once again uh, to talk about something I suppose that we all take for granted, really, or how many of us have even put one on? Uh, that being a life jacket. Yeah, absolutely, Sean. Do you yeah. have a life jacket? I don't have one, no. I, I, I can't really foresee a situation where I might need to own my own one. You uh, live I, by the sea, don't you? Uh, well, not that close to the sea. I don't think, <laughs> not uh, in the sea. No, I don't think there's any imminent threat of uh, the house being flooded or anything. Uh, no. Yeah, no. well, it's, you know, the reason I wanted to talk about this is because this coming Sunday is World Drowning Prevention Day and... Um, one of the best ways to prevent drowning is to wear a life jacket. Um, it's It was always part of my life as a child growing up on the shore of Loch Derg down in North Tipperary. It was very, everyone just gets used to kids just if they're anywhere near the lake, they have to be wearing a life jacket mm. at all times. And um, also in the winter, it keeps you cosy. Is <laughs> it? All right. OK, cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, an extra layer. Yeah. But where did it all start? Well, uh, it's hard to know exactly, Sean. The earliest documentary evidence that we have is in the British Museum, that great repository of, of these sort of things. Uh, gives us some clues. They have a marble carving from 870 BC, which shows some Assyrian soldiers. So this is the sort of Iraq, Syria, uh, part of the Middle East, um, holding on to flotation devices, which are basically inflated animal skins. And they Mm. kind of wear these or hold them in front of them um, as they're moving from one side of a river to the other. So this idea of the inflatable flotation device or the inflatable wearable is something that's very ancient. But interestingly, isn't a huge part of the modern story of the life jacket until, uh, well, the middle of the 20th century, really. And the reason for that is because before then, the materials were too easily punctured. Yes. So it didn't make sense. Uh, And in fact, it was more um, of a hindrance uh, than anything if it was going to puncture. So before that, what what we see is in the 19th century in particular, a prevalence of uh, wood, particularly balsa wood, which offers uh, a lot of buoyancy. So the Norwegians would have used that right up to the 19th century. That would be panels of balsa wood sort of sewn into your jacket, really, while you're at sea. And then the emergence of uh, cork, which really dominated for um, about 100 years. For example, in 1811, there was an early life jacket called the, a wonderful name for a product, Sean. Very English. Mallison's Seaman's Friend and Bather's Companion was the name of... <laughs> Rolls off the tongue, <laughs> that one, yeah. <laughs> Don't forget your Mallison Seaman's Friend and Bather's Companion. Um, so that, that was uh, panels of cork uh, sewn into a jacket. And it had a crotch strap, which is really essential. And we'll see when I get to the the Titanic in a few minutes time why this is one of the most crucial parts of a life jacket is because if you fall into the water, your life jacket will immediately go up over your head. Yes, good point. Yes, of course. Because it floats and you don't. Yeah. So 
if you don't have a strap going between your legs, then it's not going to work. Yeah. So okay. they were the common first. Common sense, really. Common yes. sense. Yeah. yeah. They were the first to introduce that idea. Yeah. Ah, right. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> that, that, that's it. Right. So, so the, this is eighteen uh, fifties uh, or so. And well, like, was this a kind of a um, passenger boats? Everybody got one situation, or you know, were there like four of them for the most important people? No, it, uh, certainly not. Um, it was really um, uh, just for rescuers. So the RNLI, the who operate and save lives in this country. Um, every year, all the time, they, uh, one of their inspectors, a Captain John Ward, he was responsible for patenting the first mass ma- mass manufactured life jacket in 1854, and this, you know, to answer your question, it was only really used by rescue crews at this time. Mm-hmm. Um, his was panels of cork, again circular cork material. I posted a photograph of this on Twitter earlier. He had experimented with. Um, horsehair, rushes, various different materials, but they all proved um, inferior to the to cork. Mm. Uh, and he patented this. It offered twenty four pounds of buoyancy, and his design remained in use with the RNLI right until after World War Two. So almost a hundred years, his very very influential design kept going, but. It wasn't really used by, you'd imagine that, you know, the organisations like the Royal Navy mm. and that would have played a really important role, a crucial role in the development of something like this. But it really didn't. And I was shocked to discover a sort of a dark history in this area in relation to the Royal Navy and various other maritime organisations like the Royal Navy. They practiced a policy in the ni- right until the 19th century called naval impressment, which meant that sailors were often forced into the Navy. Mm. And equipping sailors, equipping their sailors with flotation devices was seen as tempting them to escape because <laughs> their ships were essentially prisons yeah. for them. They were often sailors not taken from British lands, but from foreign conquered lands mm. during the age of colonialism. So, you know, giving these people, they were they were sort of like slaves, really, uh, on these ships and giving them the opportunity to escape uh, a life jacket was seen as a, uh, was seen as a means towards that. So the Royal Navy really didn't subscribe to a policy of life jackets right until 1888, my understanding, is oh when they word. first introduced them. Uh, and so, but the, but on passenger ships, one assumes uh, um, that, you know, if you want, especially if you want repeat business, that having life jackets on board might be a good idea. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But it wasn't mandated until quite late, uh, late 19th century, early 20th century. Um, unbeknownst to many people, there were actually plenty of life jackets on the Titanic. Um, there were 2,240 passengers on that fateful ship, um, but there were 3,560 life jackets, which is interesting. So why did so many people not survive? Two reasons. First of all, it was absolutely Baltic. Yeah, life jacket wouldn't make that much difference. Wouldn't make a huge amount of difference. Um, But interestingly, the other side to it, John, is that I was looking at one of these life jackets. There's 12 still in existence. And when they come up, they come up every few years for auction and they go for a huge amount of money. There was one that was sold in 2007 for $112,000, 
which is an incredible sum for for a life jacket, but it's a a, 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 a souvenir from an incredible piece of history, I suppose. But the way it worked was um, a lot of people jumped off the Titanic or were pushed off it from a great height. This is where we come back to the vital crotch strap. Now, I have examined a lot of photographs this morning and yesterday of the Titanic life jackets. I cannot find a crotch strap anywhere. This was solid cork life jacket. So when they hit the water, what happened? It came up and banged off their chin and um, slapped their neck back. So it was almost like instant whiplash. And that was what killed some of the people before Ouch. they even had the opportunity to drown. Okay. Well, even if it had a crotch strap, it wouldn't be you wouldn't feel too comfortable after that drop into the sea anyway. No, uh, uh, one imagines, but it might, at least you might be alive. Now, in saying that, you know, we should say that it the, this life jacket it did save many lives mm. because people were dragged out of the water into some of the rescue boats, etc. Um, you know, one of the life jackets that that's still in existence belong to a, uh, an American woman called Laura Mabel Francatelli and hers is the one that was sold for $112,000. She was in lifeboat number one. Some of the lifeboats um, did come back and and collect some people from the water. They were wearing life jackets. So Okay, so we did do do, do something. Uh, well, well, what's very interesting about this, I suppose, is, is uh, your cork life jacket would, would take up a lot of room on a boat. So wh- wh- mm. when did inflatable mm. life jackets come, in, uh, come into yeah, use? Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. Um, the inflatable life jacket suddenly meant that they, they were so compact. Like, you imagine the ones on airplanes, for example. Mm. They take up very little amount of space. Um, this really happened quite late, Sean. Um, it was just before World War Two that an American man called Peter Marcus, he developed, he was an engineer, and he developed a really incredibly um, sort of forward-thinking design. Um, it was an inflatable life jacket, which had two, it's almost identical to the ones that you see the air Stewards wearing in the demonstration on hmm. do you remember aeroplanes yeah on those vaguely yeah. <laughs> people used to get on those things <laughs> you mean we can fly <laughs> um, god I miss those demonstrations what I do now to stand there I know and, and pay attention to, to it pay yes. attention to the demonstration <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah so what happened was there were two options you could either pull the two toggles or you could, uh, which set off the CO2 cartridge and Mm. it inflated automatically, or there was an opportunity to blow through a tube and inflate it manually. He developed that just before World War II. Um, It was incredibly popular during the war years by the Allied forces, both um, the Royal Air Force, the Royal Navy, and their American equivalents. Um, It was known affectionately as the Mae West because uh, of the way um, it sort of made you appear. Uh, she was uh, a buxom lady, as yes. they say, okay. back right. in the day. And they all called it the May West. And it was, uh, it's just incredible. It's one of the few things on this series, Sean, where the design of it really hasn't changed that much yeah. in the 75, 70 years uh, intervening between the two. It's just an incredible invention. Um, now, the same thing exists on airplanes, of course. Um, 
as I said a moment ago, this the the life jacket under your seat. Um, I I remember when I was a kid, when I would look avidly with rapt attention at the uh, air steward talking about this life jacket, and I always had to have a look under the chair to see if it was actually there, mm. just to make sure. Yeah, you know? yeah, fair enough. It's it's a serious offence though if you steal one. It is a very serious offence, yeah. And I found an example. I don't remember this, but it was big news about eight years ago. There was an Indian-British citizen travelling from London to Shannon on an Aer Lingus flight in 2013, Sean. And he stole... A life, the life jacket from under his seat on this. <laughs> Apparently, it was something about like giving it to his child or something that was going to camp. I can't remember exactly. Ah, right, but okay. anyway, um, they, he was obviously brought to court. And uh, oh no, what happened was it was discovered in his luggage. <laughs> On the X-ray machine, <laughs> and uh, on the return flight, because he 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 um, he stole it on the outgoing flight, and it was only discovered when he was returning through the X-ray machine. And the judge took it very seriously, describing it as a most unusual crime, which it is to be fair. Mm-hmm. And he narrowly escaped jail, but was fined a thousand euro. Now. Good enough for him, because mm-hmm. I suppose, you know, that's uh, that could be the difference between life and death uh, Indeed. Uh, for any subsequent passenger. Simon, fascinating as ever. Thanks a million. Simon Tierney there. You are listening to The Moncrief Show on News Talk.